0: Jesus is alive. Isn't that amazing? This is the thing we get to celebrate every day. Every day. But it's great that we take time to remember what Jesus did. So, whether it's a good Friday, bad Friday, or an in between Friday that you had, I had a semi interesting Saturday. And uh, we're here at Sunday, but guess what? It's not that Sunday's coming. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. So that's what we're celebrating this morning. So just as we start, I just want to commit some things to you as we get into these next couple of weeks. We're going to be celebrating what Jesus did. Yeah? So um this series is called All Things New. For those who don't know me, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here at Word of Grace. And it's just so good to see all of you, some friends who are old, some new friends, some of you have brought your families. They're so excited to have you all here. Thank you for being here. Um, I want to start off by reading a portion of scripture from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18 onwards. And I want to use this uh, to set a context for what we're going to talk about because it, this is God talking to his people and it comes up again in the book of Revelation, which we'll go to. But God starts off with this idea when there is just chaos around it. We just sang that song, Is Anyone Worthy? And to be totally honest, we could take that song and just work through that song and talk through the biblical truth behind all of those things. But I want to take some time to talk through why things need to be made new. Remember not the former things, no, consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. And that word is not just another kind of out with the old, so it's a new thing. It is new in its entire concept, its fabric. It's not built on the same stuff as the old stuff was. So it's not saying, so you had a brick and mortar building here. Let's go build another new one. So let's get some more bricks and some more mortar and build a new one. That's not the kind of new he's talking about. He's talking about entirely different in its con- construct, in its fabric. It's entirely new. This is something that we often miss when we're reading just an English Bible. We're like, oh, new, new, old. But he isn't talking about something just being replenished. He's talking about building it on entirely new stuff. Behold, I'm doing a new thing, and it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Circle that in your Bible if you've got a paper Bible because this is going to be the key to what God is doing in these days. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. When was the last time you saw a pathway in the wilderness? If I sent you out into the woods, how often, if it's not an already state park or something... If I just told you to go out in the woods, how easily could you find a path? It's not natural. How many times have you seen rivers in the desert? It's not natural. So that's the concept here. So it's, it goes against the grain of what you think should happen here. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches. These are desert animals, right? So God will bring forth... So is it trying to talk about ostriches and jackals here? Is that the, the, the truth here? No. He's saying, even the places where you think this shouldn't be, he says, they will come. I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself, that they may declare my praise. Skip ahead. So God does his work of salvation. He brings us into what Jesus has done. And we'll unpack that as we go. But I just want to set this context. And in Revelation chapter 21, this is at the end of all things. This is after all judgment has been given. This is after everything has been settled in heaven and on earth. And he says, behold, the one who was seated on the throne said, behold... I am making all things new. Again, that word is not just, re, just reformed. It is completely restructured, refabricated, redesigned. It is new. That word new is going to come up as we talk through the next two weeks because this word is going to be, it's the Greek word, kainos. It is not the word neos which is where we get the word new from neos okay where's? give me a new shirt so go throw the old one off go get a new shirt no he's talking about i'm gonna give you something that's kevlar coat i'm just trying to give you like a concept for saying this is not just a cotton shirt it's not swapping something out he's saying this is completely different and it functions differently so I want you to just see these two concepts together. He's doing a new thing that is not based on what you would think. is just like, oh, God, do we see the world is broke? We do. Do you see the shadows deepen? We do. And we all know that we just, if we could only just get through, we do. And we get into that kind of a mode of, uh oh, can we skip to the good part? No. And... It's one of those things where we want to like shift to just make it okay. And God was never in the okay business. I want you to hear this very clearly. He was not in the business of making it just all right. What I'm going to say might scare you a little bit at first, but I want you to capture this. Because I think you'll understand it when I say it. God is not in any kind of competition or fighting against evil. You watch enough Marvel movies. You watch enough Star Wars. You feel that there is like this battle going on. Where the good guys and the bad guys have a go at each other. The bad guy nearly wins. And then the good guys come from behind. This is not one of those things. God is entirely, this is what we mean when we say God is holy. He's not in the same zip code as anyone else. Satan is not the anti-God. You're hearing me? And I want you to be very careful when you're listening to this. Satan is not God's rival. Okay? It might be controversial, for like, especially if you've not heard this before. Satan is a created being. He fell from glory. So it's not, it's not like he's trying to say, I'm going to take you on, God. No contest there. With one word, he cast them out of heaven. And all of his posse, all of them. So this God who declares these things, it's not like, Oh, guys, well, I'm sorry. They messed it up. I'll try and make it better, okay? No, no, no. When he's talking about making all things new, I want you to see the mindset of a God who says, I am above all of this, and I am making all things new. I'm not in competition with somebody to try and win this one. I'm not trying to win a battle that was started by somebody. So when we see... What happens in Good Friday and Easter, and we celebrate these things, Jesus' crucifixion was not like this big battle where he had to somehow squeeze a, a victory out. He did this to fulfill the perfect law of God. Some of you might not know Jesus personally. And based on your experience with church, you might even feel, I've always felt God was this judge who was judging what I did wrong. Couldn't be further from the truth. That was not God's heart at all. He designed us, He fashioned us for fellowship with Him. When we believed a lie, he says, I will make provision for it. And the way a God who is holy, a God who is amazingly just, who is complete light, that's something I want to talk about in a second. In him, there is no darkness at all. So the moment sin was found, he cannot be in the same vicinity. Think about that. It wasn't that he had an issue with you. He had an issue with the darkness that surrounded you. And Jesus says, Father, I see how much you love. When you see John three sixteen, I pray it becomes more than just a verse we all know. God loved the world so much, and Jesus says, Father, I see the love that you have set. On these people who have gone astray, I will go. Because the penalty for sin or separation or darkness is death. It's not because he wanted to execute some judgment and he says, so therefore I'm going to squish all these little bugs. See, that's the kind of thing you get bashed into your head over the years saying God has this agenda of trying to keep bad people out. No, it's not that he wants to keep bad people out. He wants all to come in. Donovan took great pains over the last couple of weeks to to make you see that his heart was to reconcile all things to himself. He doesn't want any one of us to perish. His gift is eternal life. Again, that we need to understand. We need to unpack. What is this eternal life? It's not sure not going to heaven. That's just the cherry on top. What is the life that he has called us to? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. You see, God, right at the beginning of all things, he created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void, and darkness had set over the the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And what did God do? He said, light. Now when you read that, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Suddenly, like everything shines in the middle of this dark tumultuous kind of you get that you know the smoke and you start to see waters around you know like all those movies and then suddenly light shines where's this light coming from where is this light coming from okay he said light what is this light it sure is not the sun moon and stars because that was created on day four so what are we talking about Let's go to John chapter 1. In the beginning... So this this again starts with... In the beginning. In the beginning, what? What's the Word? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through... Whoever this Word is. This person, the Word... Everything that you're seeing was made through him. So if in the beginning God created, we know that this word person had to be there in the beginning with him. We're about to discover who the word is. And without him, not anything has been made that was made. In him was... Okay, new concept there. In him was life. And this life... Was the light. light of all mankind. The problem is we think of that in an intellectual sense. He was going to brighten up our future. No. We're still talking about it in the beginning. And this word became, this light does what? The problem is we think it's just now. It's something that just happened right now. This light, when God spoke, his son was with him in the beginning. And light shone on what was a creation that was in chaos. The light, not a light, the light shines in the darkness. And since then, the darkness has not been able to overcome it. Since then, since Genesis 1-1. When God said, let there be. So when when we see that Jesus took human form, that is all it is. It's not that Jesus suddenly showed up. Hello? Think through this. Jesus did not suddenly show up on the human stage and be like, ah. It's that he took the form of a servant. The light has been shining. But the darkness has constantly been trying to ascend. And he says, I have set my spirit. And right through the Old Testament, you would see God by his spirit come upon different people. Some people encountered Jesus in person. Until the right time, and again, this is an amazing word. In the Greek, it's the word kairos. Just like that word kainos, which is a new thing, which is entirely different. The word kairos is at that opportune, ripe moment. It's like, when's the right time to have a baby? Ask a mom that. Now is the acceptable time for a mom. Can you wait? How do you know the baby's fully cooked? Like, is it now, right, before, after, a few days late? Like, in, in our human understanding, and I want you to get this, this is how God has designed everything to work. It's this word, kairos. At the opportune time, it is a now moment. It is never a certain linear moment. It's not saying, in 2022, on August 15th, on the, at this time. No, no, no. For him, time is now. Which is why in scripture it says before the foundations of the world the Lamb of God was. How can he be slain if he only showed up in 30 AD to be crucified? Because we are talking about linear time and he says before I was there and I spoke these things in. Jesus has been here. In this moment as a mother or as a Someone who farms or someone who plants. When is a fruit ripe? When the fruit is ripe. Give or take this time frame, you can somewhat guesstimate. When will a flower bloom? You can guesstimate. About three days. About two weeks. About nine months. But that baby's going to come when the baby's going to come. That fruit's going to fall when that fruit's going to fall. You do not know that precise moment. Which is how no one knows when the Son of Man will return. Nobody knows. Even the best scholars cannot figure that out. We have the signs. So when, when we're talking about God, I want you to see, we're not talking about someone who's trying to play according to our rules. When he talks about doing a new thing, get your kind of new out of your head. That's what I'm saying. Get your kind of when I get better kind of thing out of your head. What Jesus did was not trying to make you a better person. What Jesus did was not trying to make dirty people clean, clean enough that God won't flick them. <laughs> Do you see these kind of, it's, it's like secret things that sit inside our religion. It sits inside our head and we feel like, ah, oh, I screwed up today. I, I don't feel I can go to God. That is fundamentally false. This is why we have a father. Donovan, when he was talking about why does God the father run? The moment he sees his son turn, including that very self-righteous son who thinks they had done everything right, God was after their heart. He says, I want union with you. Circle that word in your notes. God is looking for union with you, which means sharing something with you in total harmony. That's what union speaks of. It's not just standing next to each other. It is a harmony. That's what marriage was meant to be. Union. We're about to have... Okay, we'll get to that when we get to that. <laughs> so this light shines in the darkness, and in the darkness cannot overcome it. To make this point clear, Colossians one verse twenty, uh, verse fifteen to twenty-two. He, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, and he is what the firstborn of all creation. He was there right at the beginning. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He's the gel of all creation. And He is the head of the body, the church. He Is the beginning. The firstborn from the dead. Now that's what we're celebrating today. Right? Why is that important? Why is him stepping through the threshold. Of death. Significant. That in everything. He might be the first person. That in everything. There's no one else who gets to say. I got there first. For in him. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Again. If you've got a Bible, circle that. The fullness of God, not the halfness of God, the God one by t- three, so 0.333 of God. No, this is not a s- splitting up of God. The fullness of God was manifest in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether in earth or in heaven, making peace. By the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. This is how God makes things new. It's not you deciding to say a sinner's prayer. The making new of things was something that he started way before you and I got here. And he sees a people who are lost and he says, I will make reconciliation on their behalf. So I will go. I will go for them. I want you to see this, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead... Wasn't this rally at the end? Ooh, they nearly got him. Ooh. Tag. Double choke slam. Jesus does it with God the Father's help. No, it's not one of those things. It's like, oh, he's like like about to hit the ropes and he's falling over. When you see dramatizations of what Jesus went through, it's almost like... He nearly lost the whole thing. But God, no. He was very well aware of what was happening. He had a plan. Before you and I got here, he says, I will create a way. Because he can never go back on his word. So the penalty for sin cannot be suddenly adjusted. Because that would make him unjust. That would make him unrighteous in his word, in his deed. He had to enforce what he had declared, that in him there is no darkness at all. So it's not, you mean to say, I can start closing up with darkness a little bit? He says, I cannot have communion with you, but I want to have communion with you. Can you say that? God wants to have communion with me. So regardless of how dirty I feel, regardless of how worthless I have been told I am, God wants to have communion with me. And he made the way. I didn't have to do that. I cannot do that. So when Jesus lays down his life, he's not trying to make an attempt for, well, I have not done anything wrong, so I'm going to die for all these suckers who just never get it right. See, it's this kind of religious kind of thinking that We try to venerate Jesus for something like as if he was playing by our rules. Jesus is holy before you and I even got here. His sacrifice was perfect before you were trying to say, Lord, let me find someone who is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy. Which is why that statement, is anyone worthy? In all of heaven, that that voice was... And that's why John starts to weep. You mean in all of creation, and not just on this earth, in all of heaven, there is no one worthy? He says, stop your weeping. Behold. He is worthy. He is the only one who is worthy. Why? Because he was there at the beginning. He saw this before you and I got here. He says, let there be light. And the darkness still can't wrap its head around it. So life, so what we are celebrating today, I want you to see it in this context. Life is not Jesus suddenly overpowering death. Death was the, was the road bump. Darkness was the roadblock. It wasn't like he had to power through to bring life. Life was there at the beginning. Are you hearing me? Life was there at the beginning. We are being restored to life. But he says, not like the old thing. I'm going to do something new. Which is what 2 Corinthians 5, 16 and 17 talks about. We'll get there. So I hope that's now starting to sink deeper and deeper in. God is not in a battle with Satan... He's not trying to go to Calvary for the sake of trying to beat death. Though those were things that needed to happen. Life was in him. Don't believe me? John chapter 10, verse 10. Now in this passage, in John chapter 10, he's talking about the sheep. His sheep hearing his voice. And him being, first of all, a shepherd. He says a shepherd goes through the door. He doesn't go around through a window. or And in, he was just having a conversation with some pretty religious people who were trying to chastise him for healing somebody on the Sabbath. No, you cannot do this. You shouldn't do this. And then started going and questioning the guy who got healed, that you should not be healed. And you were born and sin, you filthy animal, that kind of talk. And Jesus is addressing that. And he says, the thief, these people, the people who come from all of these other doors, trying to put religious roadblocks, oh, you need to go to God like this. The thief in this context is not sated. Even though we, it is the work of the evil one. But the thief comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it. That word life is the word zoe, it's not the word bios, which is where we get life, mortal living things. So again, these are all very, very small words that are tucked into scripture that we, when we're just reading it, here, you know, it's just, I came that you might have life, you yeah, I have life abundantly. Oh, you want me to have a good life, best life now, that kind of thing? No, no, no. We're talking about a totally different kind of life. And then he carries on to say this, and this is why it's so significant for what happened on Friday. For this reason, this is in verse 17 now, so verse verse 10, he talks about him wanting to have life for them. And then he talks about him being a shepherd, how he is the good shepherd. I will go and where my sheep hear my voice and they follow. Why do his sheep follow? Because he lays his life down for his sheep. For this reason, in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me. Now read that whole phrase there. For this reason the Father loves me because I laid down my life that I may. It's almost like he has something to say about it. It almost seems like he was not in a tag team match where he was on the ropes and about to... unless somebody saved him. This was part of the plan. Right from the get-go. This is not a Good Friday miracle. For everyone else out there, it was. This was something that he had already planned. Just in case you were confused, the next verse. No one takes it from me. Do you need any more clarity? Can anyone take Jesus' life? Can crucifixion take Jesus' life? This is why it is so significant that when Jesus, again, I'm going to go over some of the Good Friday context. When he had accomplished everything, he says what? It is? And then what does he say? Father, into your hands I hand it over. I have done what I came to do so that you, the people that you set your affection on might be reconciled. I have done it. I have, and this is why when you remember we were just singing that first, the veil is torn and the doors fling wide. Why was there a veil in the first place? Because we could not behold the glory of God and live. And he, when he said it is finished, the account says, and the veil in the temple ripped from top to board, bottom. Suddenly, in that instant, the passage that has blocked us from the glory of God, from communion with God, yeah. has been removed. Hallelujah. You are not on the outside. You are not... Unworthy, because the one who is worthy, the only one who is worthy, took his place, and he says, It is done. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This is the charge that I have received. From who? So when he says, I come to do the will of my Father, he is not playing around with, let me see what's most palatable. When you see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, sweating and weeping, it's not like it was a kind con- well, Lord, is there some way that you can... He was fully aware of the whole thing. The weight of what he was bearing as a human being, that was immense. But not my will, but yours be done. And that word done, his will being done, read Revelation chapter 21. The one who is on the throne declares it is done. It's done. What is done? The will that I have set forth before the foundations of the world that many might enter in. So we're talking about a story that goes way outside of 3080, 3380, whatever, whichever way you'd like to see it. Goes way beyond 2022. 2022 goes way beyond the end of this age to when all of those scrolls are opened, every judgment is passed, and he says, God will now dwell with us. What was that last verse? Whitney, can you put that last verse up of, uh, is he worthy? Does God intend to dwell again with us? Because guess what? Until that moment comes, he says, I want to open a pathway for you to have communion with me. So I will send you my Holy Spirit. He will be with you from this day forward to the end of this age when guess what? I make all things new. That's where Revelation 21 kicks in. And he says, and I see from out of heaven uh, the city of God descending. And God says, I will make my home there. God will make his home with us. This is so significant. Because the one who is worthy has brought us into something where he is not just biding his time in this generation. Think about the chaos that you see around you. See it in the view of the one who is the light. This is not a contest. This is not darkness almost winning out. The light shines... We have a little time left. And Jesus' rebuke and his command was, while the light is shining, go. Because light has to do with perceiving. If you don't have light, how can you see? We have people who are walking in darkness. You could be walking in darkness today. I urge you, see The light. If the rulers of that age had understood what was going on. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 8 says. If they had understood what was really going on. If they had perceived. They would not have crucified the king of glory. They would not have done it. It was a stupid thing to do. But he says, seeing you will not see. Hearing you will not hear. So the command to churches today, if you read through Revelation, if anyone has ears, let them hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches. So when we come to Easter, yes, And this is why, even though it's, can we skip to the good part? We don't want to skip to the good part of just us having a better life. There was something that Jesus did. He says, I want to attach you to the life that I have that is not like your bios life. It's not about how many years you get to live down here. So when now suddenly scripture's like, my life is not my own. You have been bought with a price Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. These are all not just trite phrases. It's because unless Jesus is living his life in you, whether that be success or suffering, life cannot be overcome. The light that is inside you will bear fruit, regardless of what the situation is. In the midst of a battle zone like what Ukraine is, Stop looking at the enemy as the one who has the upper hand. This is a no contest. The problem is we want to preserve our life and hope he makes it better. And the challenge Jesus always says, will you lay down your life? And this is why Jesus' death matters and his resurrection matters because he's the only one who had life in him. How many of you have the ability to give life to anybody? Which is why, as heroic as we may be, I as a father will lay down my life for my children or my wife. If there is an intruder or someone came to attack my home, I would lay my life down gladly for them. But guess what I cannot do? Once you get through me, that's it. (laughs) If you take my wife's life or my kid's life, I have no ability to give them life. Except Jesus. He says, I will go through it. And when I come out the other side, I have life to give. And he says, I will take what is yours, your death. Your darkness, your bitterness, all of that I will take. I will go into the grave. And when I come out, I come out with life for you. So it was not a contest with death. Uh, That's what I want you to hear. This wasn't him trying to beat death around the corner. And he just made it around the corner and (laughs) life made it through. No. Life was the plan. That you might have communion with him was the plan. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 6. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And by nature, we were children of wrath. You know how everyone likes to say we are children of God? We're all children of God. Read Ephesians again. We are all children of wrath. We're all children who deserve death. Is it because God wanted us to be judged? See, that's the thing. That's the, that's the line you hear sometimes when you get into church. God, see, you see there? You see, he, He's trying to kill everybody. Is he only lets the good ones in. Mm-hmm he loved you so much that he was willing to overstep this hindrance so that you will no longer be someone who receives penalty for the wrath that is coming towards you. The just anger of God that is towards sin. But God, that's one of my favorite verses, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. So again, when you read the verse before it, do you see God as a really harsh judge? People would love to stop reading at verse 3. Oh, you know, he, he was just trying to mete out punishment. No, but look at verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. Why? Because the edict had already been sent out for sin. Yeah. It's almost like, imagine this in slow-mo, okay? Just, I want to paint a picture for you. you. You see those movies or something where you got the president or some leaders talking, and then someone, you know, the CIA agent or somebody, like Secret Service, who goes, and it's, that bullet's already left the gun. And you slow-mo this frame, you slow-frame it, and you see this guy take, jump into the path of this bullet that's coming. So it's not like he's going to suddenly freeze and remove the bullet because that was meant for you and me. He says, but I will take it. And Jesus jumps into the way of all humanity. He stands right in the breach and he says, I will take it. But just in case we think that him laying down his life was a contest. No, he says, I have the authority to lay it down. A bullet can't take me out. I want you to understand that. So him being fully God matters. Him being fully man matters. He's not just God-man. He, he had the authority in the midst of his suffering to take on the punishment and just walk straight out of it. But he went through the final frontier, which was death, the penalty for it, so that he could be raised up again, so that you could have life. He did not need life from somebody. He had life. He is the, the life. And this is where that verse is. And even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he has raised us up and seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The kind of new we're talking about is not just a rehashing of the old just trying to reform or restructure what was a bad life. I'm going to give you a better life. No, no, no. God wants you to walk in the fullness of His life. Now, not in the sweet by and by. Which is why He sent you Holy Spirit. Jackie mentioned this to us while we were worshiping. It's important that you realize He has sent His Spirit to dwell among us that you are never left with half God or an attempt at, let's take the Bible and try to figure out what he said. We all know where that goes. All you need to do is go take a theology class at university, and you'll, you'll come away wondering, like, why do we believe in God again? You can apply your mind to religion and understanding the God of the Bible, or you could meet him. He paid that high price so that you could. He was not playing, let me be God to you so you can stand there and just worship me. The point of worship was that you would know him. That's something we miss. Romans 5.1 Therefore, in view of all these things that we have just talked about, since we have been justified by placing our faith in what Jesus has done we have peace with god through our lord jesus christ verse 6 carries on for while we were still weak while we were still weak not he did not wait for us to get strong while we were still weak at the right time kairos time at that moment that ripe moment Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, right? I mean, it's worth giving your life up for a good person. Though perhaps for a good person you would, right? But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified. That word justified means bringing back to zero. Okay? So if you're thinking about like a level, have it, has anyone got those, those levels at home? You know, one of those things with those, that little bubble dot thing? Well, it's slightly off. To justify it has to be at zero. That bubble has to be dead center. He justified something that was off whack. It was like... And he was like, every attempt you made to be good, every attempt you made to try and reach God's standard was... And he says, I have brought you back to a place of justification. The ground is level again. But it's even more than that. Every place where there was a debt, every place where there was a lack, every place where there was something missing, he has restored back to fullness. But why does he do this? Now that we have been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So he takes that place of judgment. So is, is God a bad judge against everybody who is wrong? No, this tells you that. He is not against people. he's against sin. He stands against sin and every form. And the penalty must be met. Now check this out. For if while we were enemies... Think about Donovan's messages. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Ponder this. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we live and be saved by his life? The point of salvation was not dealing with sin only. Sin and death were the roadblock. Roadblock to what? To union. God had designed you for holiness. God had designed you for communion with Him. Where a holy God could walk right, up, right beside you and share things in harmony. That's what the word fellowship means. It's a Greek word koinonia, which means to share everything in common. There's nothing that is mine and yours. Everything that I have is yours. Everything that is yours is mine. But that also goes with virtue. There's not a single thing that I separate from you. So when we are talking about having fellowship with God, it is not you as a dirty person hoping he lets you in and he tolerates your stench. He cannot tolerate anything. Do you get that? He cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate darkness. So when we talk about loving people generously, it is not a tolerance of sin. But it is a full acknowledgement. My work, my life is hidden in Jesus alone. And when I am, God's love is manifest in all these places. So as we go to communion, I want to, go through a couple of things here. Verse 1 of chapter 6. We're going to keep going in Romans. What shall we say then? Are we going to continue in sin so that grace may abound? If Jesus went through all that and I'm saved by grace and not by something that I've done, what's the matter if I sin? Right? What's the big deal? Jesus is going to cover the tab. It's a blank check he wrote on my behalf. What's the problem with being a spoiled brat who spends on dad's credit card? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Are you trying to talk about trying to become a better person or... You're trying to talk about life in that context. Your life is not based on your bios. You have a new Zoe life, an abundant life that has been given to you. Do you not know that those of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? When Jesus went through death... He was baptizing us into that work. We were buried with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised, by, was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? We might walk in what? Newness of life. Not just Christian kind of talk life. Not just I read my Bible every day life. It's an entirely kinos way of life. Not a neos way of life. Do you hear me? It is not just you trying to recreate what is a good person. Good person stuff will not hack it with Jesus. Just won't. Mahatma Gandhi, Nelson Mandela, Mother Teresa. All could end up in hell if they do not. Come by the work of Jesus. Similarly, Adolf Hitler, Capone, and all of these guys could go to heaven if they come by the work of Jesus. Do you understand? The problem is we always want to do it on the basis of who we think is good enough. Good enough is not good enough, not with Jesus. He paid a high price so that you never have to even ask that question. What is good enough? He says, stop worrying about that question. I've paid the tab. Every debt that you owe is paid in full. It is finished. For if we have been united, again, there's that word of union. If we have been united with him in a debt like his we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Now, have you and I gone through... How many of you have come back from the dead? Is there a gravesite that I can go and look at and see that you guys have made it out? Not yet, right? So that's still coming. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Do you see this word of justification there? It's like literally it's been zeroed out. Everything that you would say, oh, but I'm only a human. No, you're not only human. That's, that's the thing I'm trying to get so clear across today. If there's one thing you need to understand, God is not playing by your rules. He is not trying to make you a better person. He's just not. He has made sure that your body and all of your failings, your weakness, does not get a say in the matter. Wow! That's what that means. Because we are often concentrated on that in the context of doing good things. But what, about ha- what happens when we screw up? Because we want to be accepted for the good things that we do. We want to be recognized for the things that we do well. He says, if you're going to start down that road, it's going to be all or nothing. That is why he says, even your hopeless places, the places where you're broken, I've made sure that it is brought to nothing. We know the one who has died has been set free from sin. This is something that I don't think many of us as believers get yet. It's because we're so married to this kind of make it better kind of theology where we feel like God requires us to be just a little bit better than we were yesterday. He says, if you have died together with Christ, you no longer live. So when you say, I'm a sinner, which is why I have a problem with that phrase. I fully accept that I'm a sinner who has been saved by grace. Not even for a second will I say, I'm not a sinner who was saved by grace. But having been saved by grace, I'm not a sinner any longer. Because Christ sees me as someone who is a son perfected, By the only one who is worthy. I am perfected by the only one who is worthy. So that is why we come to that passage. So just because we got grace, do you think you can keep on sinning? No. No. But stop calling yourself a sinner either. Do you get that? The problem is we were saying, well, I guess since I don't get it right all the time, I should call myself a sinner. No. You're a son of the Most High God. You're a daughter of the King. Everything that Jesus has is yours. Are you going to have to learn to work into that? Are you going to have to learn the way of the cross? Are you going to have to learn how to submit, how to obey? Absolutely. But not for a second is he treating you as a sinner. I just want that to be clear. He never treats you as a sinner. He sees his son. Which is why it matters greatly that you come through the doorway of Jesus. If you come any other way, any other way, you're a sinner. Straight. And you'll get knocked down the moment you try walking close. But in this age of grace, he has separated time where he says, I will relent any judgment, the final judgment for sin the penalty to be received will be stayed. So there's a free gift right now on the table for anyone who will receive it. For if we have died, we have been set free from sin. Now we, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. Verse 9, we know that Christ Being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has any sort of power over him. For the death he died to sin was once for... This is why I'm saying that. The death he died for sin, he died... How many times? Once for... So are you a sinner? Either Jesus' work took or it didn't. Because if, if, if you are still a sinner, he'd have to die all over again. If there was no justification, and this is why it's so important that we get this straight. If there was no justification, you're constantly having to live up to that mark. But if there is justification, we stand only by the work of Jesus. This is why it is fundamentally something that we need to get out of our stinking theology. God is not looking for you to be a better Christian. He's looking for you to step in humility and say, Lord, it is only by your work. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break these seals and open the scrolls? The Lion of Judah has conquered the grave for you and for me. He's the only one who is David's root, who is the coming king. So as you take this bread, he was broken for you that you might receive his wholeness. Do not wait another second. Do not come under your work. Come under the finished work of Jesus. What I am asking you to do today is a simple thing. But it is a costly thing. It's a very simple thing, but it is an extremely costly thing. This is why I do not trivialize the work of Jesus and consider myself a sinner anymore. By no means, and I want you to hear me because I understand the heart with which we want to say these things. I understand that we fail. I understand that we get things wrong. But the work of Jesus is so perfect. I do not want to nullify the work and the grace of God that has been extended to me where he's saying, come, have communion with me. When Jesus did this over the Passover, he took, they were eating already. So it's not like he went and had like a communion team, prep some bread or he, he, had, he just took some bread, he broke it. And he says, go, just you know, spread it out. All of you get some. And he says, this is my body that was broken for you. Similarly, he took a cup from the table and he drank it and he gave it to them. And he says, this is my cup. This is the blood of my covenant. And guess what he also did? It's there in all of the accounts. He says, I will not eat or drink again until I do it with you. So what you and I are doing right now is significant. He says, I want you to do this because our Lord is waiting for us to come and share this meal with us. He says, I died for you. I laid down my life for you that you would have my life, my wholeness. I want you to do this constantly. Just do this together. Remind each other that I'm coming back. Do this as a sign that I'm coming back for you. And when you and I meet together, when he makes all things new, he says, we will eat and drink together. So right now, I want you to do this in anticipation that your Lord is coming. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for wholeness that we receive in you. So Lord, right now, we, as we drink From this cup too, Lord, we thank you that you, your life was laid out for us. That we might have everlasting life. So we drink deeply of that life today. In Jesus' name.